Welcome to an all new episode of the Lisa Ann Experience. I am your host, Lisa Ann. I'd like to extend my gratitude for you making me a part of your listening experience. If you're new to my podcast, you can watch all of the video component on my YouTube channel, The Real Lisa Ann. You can go back and see or listen to any episodes you've missed. And if you're new, subscribe, rate, review, as that is a thing in the podcast world that seems to make a difference. I have a guest today after two back-to-back solo dolo episodes, and I'm getting so much great feedback from the From Switzerland with Love episode with all the extra effort that Kay put in to add so many cool little clips of drone footage in Switzerland, all of that to that whole and then the green wall in the background at the Holiday Inn in Zurich. Like all of it getting a great response. But today I have a guest. I had the opportunity to read another book cover to cover, which is something you know I love to do. Ben Askren is going to be joining the show. His new book, Funky, I think you'll really like it. It is a great holiday read, a great story, and a remarkable just tenacity Ben has had. And he's also super chill. So When I read a book and I'm bringing on a guest that I don't know, I'll go and I'll listen to a bunch of their other interviews. And I love listening to fighters interviews or any athletes after they take a big loss. And his attitude was really, really amazing. Like to him, it's just like, okay, I wake up the next day. It's a new day. Doesn't carry it with them. A lot of fighters will go and get sports psychologists and do other things. So I found that so fascinating. And then it really brings me into my guest and being able to really share and communicate with them. Cause I feel like I know them a bit kind of like people probably think they know me. If they listen to my podcast, you get to know me because I tell you me things. So before we bring Ben uh, here, and I'm saying we today because I'm a little bit out of it, I had a super late night uh, and very little sleep, and I'm going to go right to the monologue subject of, is it possible to have too much fun? This is what I asked myself today uh, when I was taking a morning walk. Is it possible to have too much fun? Because fun seems to come in spurts. Guests are coming into town. Like, you know how things kind of all happen at one time, and then you're like, okay, I need to be still for a couple of weeks. But I think, you know, it really started with Exotica and then going to Switzerland and then going to California and doing the walk. You know, it's just been like more interaction with people. I think the pandemic got so many of us working from home and so used to working from home that we forget what it was like to constantly be engaging with people in person. And so getting out is such a healthy, healthy balance, but it's just like things have just been hitting lately that have just like the other day, it was Saturday and it was 72 degrees. And I was out and about and my neighbor reached out and neighbor's like, Hey, it's really nice. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go to a patio. Let's go to a rooftop. So went to the peninsula rooftop, which is beautiful, has an amazing view of the city and it was packed. It's like just celebrating the weather. I wasn't planning on doing that. I actually had laundry to do that day. I had chores to do that day, but I knew it was going to get cold. It's 32 today. So it was 72 and now it's 32 today. I brought gloves out. Okay. So I've just been rolling with that fun. But what I asked myself this morning was like, is it possible to have too much fun? And I'm such an organized person. And I always have to have things like I mentioned, my laundry done. I always have to have everything put away. And then sometimes I'll tell myself like, you're not living if everything's like completely put away, Lisa. You need to go with this flow and you'll catch up when you catch up. But I did not expect to be up till 4.30 in the morning. 
Uh, I'd have to get up this morning at eight. I cannot cancel my day. I have people relying on me. I have things to do. So I'm a little bit out of sorts. And I think it happens to all of us sometimes, but I'm laughing about it because being this tired on a Tuesday isn't easy. It's not ideal. This is the stuff, Lisa, you're supposed to do on Friday or Saturday night, but it just so happened yesterday I worked on a project that you'll get to see soon. It's still a little bit of a secret. Um, but after that project, I went out and life has just been full of moments that I don't want to miss out on. And so if I'm missing out on a little sleep, which I will pay, play catch up, uh, ASAP. Uh, when I'm missing out a little sleep, I ask myself these silly questions, but I'm also going with the flow because I remember what it was like when we weren't able to go out and see our people, when we didn't have the opportunity to be outside at a restaurant or be inside at a restaurant even. So here I am just kind of going with the flow. I do understand it's football season. I do understand this is a time where I have so much news to be staying engaged with, fantasy football news, injury news, but Sometimes living is more important than focusing, and that's kind of where I've been. Now I'll get a little vacation next week for Thanksgiving. I'll be relaxing with my friends in Tahoe. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to cooking for them. I used to cook for them when I was their neighbor in Huntington Beach all the time. I'm looking forward to watching the games with them on Thanksgiving. Of course, we're all Cowboys fans. So we'll be in it to win it that day on the couch. And I know that's going to be a good decompressed time. But for right now, I'm just so incredibly thrilled with the amount of activity I have in my life. The adventure, you know, going parasailing was a great reminder I push myself to do things to remind myself that I can. It's just my own little personal challenge. And I want to test my limit of fear. And I know not everybody's this way. And I know that's why growing up, my brother and I were very different. And Peggy called me daredevil. I was always testing my level of fear, whether it was riding my bike too fast around a corner with gravel when I knew that I could definitely skid out and skid my leg, which I did many times, but I would still do it. And now adult me wants to do things like jump out of airplanes, jump off of mountains and paraglide. You know, all of those things just keep me, I don't know, I think that's where the fun comes in. I think that's where I really get this like juice to continue to go out there and make moments happen. And one of the moments that ties into yesterday's shoot that you will be hearing about and seeing about soon uh, is one of those moments where I could just pass these things up and say, you know what, I'm not going to reach out to this person or, oh, that's cool. But, and we have to live where we never know what's coming next. So to take little chances and to do cool things has been something that's been a, a gift through the fiber of my life. And always in random circumstances, but I'm paying attention. And I think that paying attention now with social media, it's so much easier to connect. And when you see what I worked on, you're absolutely going to love it. It was a ton of fun. But yes, it was a late night. I need to focus. I've got my show every Wednesday night on Better Sports Network with Rick Kamla. I've got a meeting about that today. We're working on where everybody's going to be for Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe some shows that I'm going to help out with during the break. Uh, but, you know, I will still do my show remotely since I'm able to do that. So you won't miss out if you're listening. Better Sports Network is available as an app, but you can also watch the shows on YouTube for somebody that maybe doesn't have, I think in other countries, it's not available yet. So don't forget, you can look at all that, follow them at Better Network. So I will be doing my show every Wednesday night with Rick Kamla. And uh, don't worry, I will be studying hard for what I missed because 
I recorded the Monday night game. I'm admitting this to you, to be honest with you. It was on where we went out to eat, but I didn't want to look. I know what happened. There's no way I don't know what happened. But I have to watch what happened. How did this happen? So I recorded that. I'll be watching that tonight and playing a little catch up for you. I will make sure that I have a nice conversation to share with you for Thanksgiving week and moving forward. Dudes Do Better comes out every other Monday, a new episode dropped this week. But before I go any further, I'm going to bring in today's guest. Check out Ben Askren on social media at Twitter and Instagram. Get a copy of his book. and make, It's going to be a great gift, a totally great gift. Anybody who wants to be inspired, motivated, read a great story and understand the power of being grounded. That's today's guest, Ben Askren. For those of you who know me and know how much I love to read, the excitement to read an incredible book and then get to interview the author and hear the life story of Olympic wrestler, champion, MMA, Ben Askren. This is a great book, Ben. I thank you so much for your time and I'm looking forward to talking about it today. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's been getting a pretty good reception since it came out. Um, I also am an avid reader, so actually I'm, I'm curious to hear what your favorite topics are. And, uh, you know, so I started doing Chrono because I just needed something to do. And uh, uh, it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. Well, I think what's great is for those of us who have only known your journey through sports, your book really does cover things about you that I would have never assumed, right? So we'll start back when you were young. You're 10, 11 years old and you decide, okay, this is my passion. What gave you like the motivation and the inspiration at that age to be so driven? Yeah, uh, that's one of those ones. I've been asked that question a handful of times. And I think if I had the right answer, the really correct answer, I think I could make like a billion dollars because the, the drive I felt from a young age, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I felt it. You know, like there was nothing particularly strange about my childhood. Uh, I had a good one. My parents were good parents. Uh, but they, you know, they were, they're they great parents, but they weren't really exceptional performers or, or you know, um, they did their own thing. And so since I can remember, like I had this strong passion to compete and win. I talk about in the book where I, one of the things that drew me to wrestling is it's just, it's one-on-one. It's, it's you and me. We're going to shake hands. We're going to, we're going to wrestle. And there's not really any excuses. Like maybe the ref makes a bad call once in a while is probably the closest you can get to excuse. And with team sports, there was two, two events, one in soccer, one in football, where it's like my team just didn't want to be there. And it was so hard for me to accept that, like, there's just no way that I was going to help the team win because on top of, you know, being one of 11, I wasn't really even that great at the sport. Um, yeah. So that, that was frustrating. It drew me to wrestling, the self-reliance, the you shake their hand, it's you and them, and that's it. I loved it. Yeah, because if you are the most motivated player on any team, no matter what yeah. sport it is, everyone else is dragging you down at all times. And even though you're focused, your focus can't be – managing everybody else who does isn't as committed. So it's fascinating to me because that thread carries through your entire life. And after I read your book, I then went down the rabbit hole and I listened to a ton of interviews and your outlook on fighting, whether it's winning or losing fascinates me because you're just like, Hey, you know what? I wake up tomorrow and I go back to my regular life and I do my thing and it doesn't change your mindset. Is that something that you picked up from being in a one-on-one -on -one sport and knowing like you can't blame anybody, you just move on? Yeah. Um, so obviously I think, yes, wrestling helps you. It, it, wrestling is the ultimate humbler because at some point if you're wrestling, you're getting your face rubbed into the mat by another person, you know, like that humbles you. Um, 
And but then kind of when you go back to that 10, 11 year old period, I wasn't very good. I decided I wanted to be good, but I wasn't good. Um, and so for me, like the process was just, just show up and try to get a little better and show up and try to get a little better. And so over the course of time, I took a lot of losses. So it wasn't like, you know, when I lost eventually, uh, it wasn't a huge deal. I, I ended up going nine years undefeated in mixed martial arts, which is it's kind of strange that, you know, because in wrestling, I was like, I don't care. I want to show up. I want to compete with the best people. And I, I lost frequently. So I just think that wasn't a part of me. And a part of it was just getting better. I'm actually doing a mental mind day today. I know it's Tuesday. Uh, and I messed, I, I forgot yesterday, but it's, um, it's a topic I like called beginner's mind. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a sports psych thing where, um, no matter how skillful you get or how good you get, you kind of always have to keep a blank slate of like, I can learn more. I can learn something from everything. Um, and that, that's one of the things that kind of also, you know, keep, kept me grounded and helped me through that time. Yeah. The best people are always learning, always driving to do new things, always striving to be better yes. in all of the things that you've done in your career. How was the feeling of being around the other athletes in the Olympics? Hmm. Uh, it's a great question. I, I kind of have this negative, uh, feel about the Olympics because I really wanted to win and I didn't win. And so I'm like, is blackout the whole experience type of thing. Um, I will say, so making the Olympic team was a dream for, you know, a long time. So that, that feeling when, when I made the team was amazing. And then I guess I will say the one other, like really, really positive thing I have from them was walking out to the opening ceremonies. You know, you're, you're, in this group of highly elite athletes from all these different sports. And, you know, you come in and we're in China and, and the whole crowd started chanting USA and it was, it was freaking awesome. Um, so I think that that feeling was great. Um, yeah, but the, my whole Olympic experience was kind of like soured by the fact that I, I didn't compete as well as I wanted to compete. Um, and maybe that's a, maybe that's a negative thing for me. Maybe I should have enjoyed it. Uh, Cause obviously I did, I worked really, really hard to make the team. So I kind of go back and forth on that one. I get it, but I mean, it's such an honor and it, and it's something that I don't think we talk about as much as we did as we were younger athletes of like the dream to be in the Olympics, looking at the Wheaties box, you know, the athletes that got that honor to go to another country and represent USA. But I imagine, you know, when you're going that far as well, you're kind of out of your element. Everything is different. When you made the transition from wrestling to MMA, you had the advantage because you knew that as a wrestler, if you could get somebody on the mat, right, you could have yeah. the advantage if they didn't have that skill set. That's the one thing yes. I do like about MMA is everybody brings something totally different. What yes. I didn't really know, but I had a hunch, was the hustle, the promotion, the money aspect. And you talk a lot about, about kind of there's there's a, a shady side to the promotion aspect, yeah. kind of like – the nightclub business. It's kind of weird. When I was reading this, I was like, whoa, this is like the nightclub business. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Didn't know. Yeah. I think anytime there's money involved, there's going to be a little bit of everyone trying to get one over on someone else, you know? Um, yeah. I think that was something I had a lot of insight into because number one, I, I always enjoyed that aspect of it. The the money side, the the managing, the sponsorships. I just, I always thought it was fascinating to me. Um Actually, I promoted my first two fights. Uh, <laughs> in two thousand and one, right? Uh, two thousand and two thousand nine. I promoted my okay. first two fights, and we lost money on both of them. And I said, uh, I'm, "I'm out of this business. This is hard." <laughs> but when you were in school, yes. you were promoting yes. your fights by writing on your T-shirts yeah, and stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah. So there's those photos in the book that I was like, "Okay, yes. that's cute." You obviously yes. knew, so it was a losing business. But yeah. MMA has 
has really had really put you on the map to everybody who isn't following wrestling. Yeah. How much did your life change in your existence from the notoriety from MMA? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, so, and to go back to the last one, I, I think the other interesting thing was I got to compete in all three major promotions in the world. So I kind of, and, and two of them essentially from their infancy, which is one championship in Bellator fought them really early. Um, you know, so they were like not big things and they became very big things. And then obviously at the end with the UFC, um, the notoriety is funny because I think I am, I'm famous enough where I get recognized frequently but not where it's overwhelming. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, That's perfect. That's the perfect mix. You can actually go somewhere. Maybe somebody says hi, but you're not going to go somewhere and think, I don't want to sit at that table because everybody's going to stare at me. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, if I go to like, obviously a wrestling event, I'll get kind of swarmed. Um, And, you know, it's hard to kind of get around. And and then at that point, you're like, ah, I just want to be a normal person and be able to just go watch this wrestling match or, or, you know, whatever it is I'm doing. Um, But I would say it's, it's mostly positive. Um, and actually the, the, hmm, I said the annoying thing about the, the last fight I took was that like that generation of kids who likes Jake Paul only knows me for that. Like they have no other recognition of me except that one thing. And that one's kind of annoying. Cause they're like, you're that guy that, because I have this face where it's, uh, and hair between my face and my hair, like even if they don't, they don't know me, they're like, Hmm, I've seen that guy somewhere. Where have I seen that guy? You know, I get that quite a bit. I wanted to I wanted to get to that, but now that you brought it up, we're going to go right there. I mean, you talked about it after the fight. Uh the spectacle that is the whole Jake Paul world and how different this viewing is and how what you know, the robot you mentioned and I actually went to a Jake Paul fight to walk out Frank Gore in December of last year. And I was absolutely shocked at, you know, the crowd, the, the, the celebrities. I was like, oh, this is, this is really a much bigger thing than even, I mean, I know it's big, but because I watched MMA, I didn't realize it was that big and it it was weird. And you discussed that where you were like, this is, there's so many people, what are you people doing here? These are people that don't watch athletes. These are people that probably aren't into sports. These are people that don't know who the fighters are. Like, is it, was it crazy? just how different that is from all the things you've seen. I mean, a different yeah. vibe and yes, a younger audience. Yeah, definitely younger audience for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, my, my, what my fight with him was strange because it was during Corona. So they, uh, you know, there was, there was, there was a very limited audience. So they rented the freaking Atlanta Falcons stadium. But then if you remember, they set up for the, the con Justin Bieber performed and a few other people, um, and so the way they set it up, it was kind of facing this one section. There was a couple, maybe a couple thousand people. Um, you know, I think they gave me 20 tickets for my friends and family or, or whatever. Um, and yeah, so it was a really unique feel. Yes. Cause there was a whole bunch of people who, uh, normally are not like, they're not fighting people, right? They're, they're celebrities and entertainment. Um, so it was very, very different than all the other experiences as far as competing. It's like, it's like the floor seats at a Lakers or a Knicks game. Yeah. I see a lot of people that probably that's the only basketball game they watch all season. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not at home avid watchers, but going back to your book, funky, which is now available also available in, uh, the digital copy dropped your hard copies are on Amazon. Did you do your audio book yet? I dude, I recorded my audio book. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that. That was, hard, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, my wife actually yells at me because she said, I listen to all my podcasts at one and a half. I don't know. 
you do that. It always the shit. It always the shit out of her. Um, so if I, she's in the car, I turn my podcast off because I have to listen to it one and a half, like to get it going. You want to get through it. You just want to get through it. You just, I, I yeah, okay. And then she said that's now made me talk a lot faster. She that's that's oh. this is her opinion. That's made me like start speaking quicker. Um, well, when you're actually trying to read read a book. And you can't, it's not like in a podcast form like this. If I was going to say one sentence and I mess up two words, like you're not, you don't know, there's nothing written down, right? But when you're reading a book and they want you to get it word for word, if there's just one word off, you got to do it over. And so it's like, you have to, I really had to slow myself down. So I'm actually very curious to listen to it and then see if I like, I'm, I might speed up to two or something. Cause I felt like I had to talk so slow so I didn't mess it up. Yeah, because they really want you to enunciate and and and, and you can't talk and like your pa- I I did mine during the pandemic because I was like <laughs> I need a project. That's I I padded my master bedroom closet in my apartment. I put the <laughs> foam stuff up and I sat in there for a month, five days a week, recording, listening to it, and then I sent it to an editor. I it took me that you long. Your own producer. I was my own producer. It was a pandemic. There was nothing else to do. And I was like, you know what? This probably would only take me a week in a studio, but we got nothing but time. And and, and if yeah. I can order this stuff on Amazon and I can do this, it'll keep me busy for a month, which yeah. it did. And you're right. It is torture. But well, yeah. something and I, you know, I read a lot of athlete autobiographies. Uh, you talk about money and that you had yeah. a good sense of money from way back when uh, yeah. you put your money aside, you started to invest. And I read, you know, very few books where financial wellness is something that comes right off the pages with you. What inspired you? Was it the fact that you knew you wanted more or was it your parents? I mean, at a young yeah. age, you were already putting money yeah. aside. Yeah, that's another one. Was, I think my, my parents were, you know, blue collar uh both of them grew up in Iowa on a farm. Um, so I think probably some, something to do with that. Their parents both obviously experienced the Great Depression, but that's like most of, you know, so two generations above me. Yep, my grandparents uh, as well. Yep, it's most of them. Um, so I would say it's that. And then, you know, as I said, I, I was also an avid reader. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear your favorite sports autobiographies. But one of the things uh, I noticed in all these books, they all go broke. All, like almost all of them. Like there's very few people who do really well. And now I think there's more recognition of it as you're seeing, say, like a Shaquille O'Neal became a really, I mean, it appears really good investor. Um, I can't say for sure. I don't see his bank account, right? But some people are cognizant of this. But prior to like in the 90s and 2000s, it was like everyone ended up broke. And so it was like, wow, I don't want that to be me. And with fighting, you know, some, some people may accuse me with the Jake Paul fight of this, but I always feel like, I felt guilty or sad for those fighters who had to keep fighting because there was no other way for them to make income. And I didn't want to ever be that person, you know, and really I retired for my first time in 2017. And it was just like, well, I've never gotten to fight the best guys because of bullshit contract stuff. So if I, if I get the opportunity, I'll come back, but I want, I want to be retired then, you know, and I came back and then the Jake Paul thing, it was like, I don't know, that sounds like fun and I need to get in shape anyways because I just had my hip surgery. So sure, let's do it. But yeah, I mean, that was that was really inspired by reading all those biographies of athletes and seeing how many of them um, kind of uh, lost it all, right? And were they and, and even guys who made a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Well, that's what I was just going to say. The people that have lost it all made a lot more money than there was in wrestling <laughs> or in MMA. Um, yeah. Way more money. You know, we're yeah, talking, you know, w- way more money. So you had that plan. So 
everything you got to do was a choice. You fought yep. because you wanted to fight. You never yep. fought because you had to fight. Another um, MMA fighter, like Ronda Rousey's book is good. I don't know if you've read it. That was a good book, right? Yeah, I enjoyed her book. Uh -huh. But I don't read, you're right. There's usually like partway through the story where now the athlete is taking gigs only because they have to, because they're in a hole, you know, and they're just like yeah. breaking even. And so that's a mental drain. You never had that yeah. mental drain. Yeah. You also knew that you wanted to do other things with your life, have a family. And now you have a wrestling academy. So you're yeah. still involved. You're still inspiring. What's it like for you to look at the opposite, what you were like at 10, 11 years old? Um, it's awesome. And this is kind of, I, I always knew this is what I wanted to do. Actually, kind of in college, I probably thought my path was I would go be a college wrestling coach uh, and then and then go do the club academy type thing. Because um, when I went to college, fighting wasn't a, it wasn't actually a profession you could do. You know, if, uh, you know about the history of mixed martial arts. It started in 93. It was the first UFC. And then, you know, kind of got outlawed everywhere because they were using these uh, insane rule sets. And I don't know if the, the, the early slogan was eight men enter one man leaves, um, which I don't it's sort of implies seven of them are going to die somehow. It's kind of violent. Guys, a little, that's, kind of violent. I don't know. That's kind of something yeah. late night TV. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I did not so, know that. Yeah, It wasn't a thing. So I thought, Hey, I'll go, I'll probably after call dressing, I'll probably go be a call dressing coach. And then I'll make some money and then I'll go do my academy thing afterwards. Because, um, you know, one of the things my dad, my dad said, um, and I, I would totally echo this sentiment is like, I don't really ever want to retire. Like now, you know, I, I imagine I'm going to coach wrestling at my academy until I'm like 90 years old. And I'll be, I envision myself like sitting in the corner and my, you know, my grandson is running the practice or my granddaughter's running the practice. And I'm sitting over the corner telling, well, you know, little Billy who sucks how to do a single leg or you know, something like that. But uh. it's real. I mean, you know, there's this mindset of like, oh, I'm going to work really hard till I'm this age that I'm going to retire. But yes. like, what are you going to do all day? What the hell are you going to do? And if you're doing like, you know, it does sound a little bit. Yes, you could travel a bit, but you can be semi-retired, right? You can still be doing. But if you do something you love and especially yeah. you, you have, is it three children? I have three kids. Yeah. Three children. How old are they? Uh, so Alex is nine, Andy's seven, Ozzy's four. And so uh, the older two wrestle and Ozzy, Ozzy the boy is really looking forward to wrestling. We don't let him start till they're five. So he's really okay. looking forward to this. Yeah. Because for you being around other kids, your kids, this is something you love doing. So do you actually feel like you're going to work when you're at the wrestling academy? No, not really. Um I mean, every once in a while, like from a time standpoint, like it's, uh, you know, you read maybe my wife wants to go do something with the family and I have to go coach and that, that can, that can be kind of annoying. Uh, but besides that, it's like, uh, I wish I could coach more. These freaking kids, they got to go to school. It's so annoying. Like they can't ever work out during the day. <laughs> I wish they could all skip school and just, and just go more wrestling, you know, for real though. Like that's where I, I cause they can only, they, you know, they can't show up say before four o'clock and then they can't stay up late. So they got to be out there by like, you know, nine. Yeah, it sucks. They got to go to school. But summertime, you can have them all day, every day, right? We do a lot of camps. So would, did you have an intention before the pandemic to write your life story? Or was this really just like, okay, now's the time to put my thoughts on paper? Uh, yeah, that, that was it. Like I said, I, I loved reading. I, I loved write, reading my whole life. And so something I kind of wanted to do. And then, um, so actually this guy, Chuck Mindenhall, he helped me with the book. 
Um, and one of my friends said, Hey, why don't, why don't you and Chuck connect and, and do a book? And I thought, I ain't got nothing else to do. Sure. And I called him up and, and then he came to my house, like right after I had hip surgery. So, you know, it was, I, I took two weeks off work cause I couldn't like do anything. Um, only and we two just, weeks after hip surgery. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I was back, I was back up and walking with a crutch the next day. Actually the hip surgery was like, you heal so fast. It was, it was actually kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, so we just talked for three days straight and then, you know, he had all the information and he would kind of write a chapter and then I would revise it and then we'd get on a zoom call and, you know, talk about it. Uh, so the, the process was awesome. And you know, he had written a couple articles about me in mixed martial arts. And I just thought he was just such an amazing writer. And then when I, when I read the book, uh, you know, read the chapters, it was like some of the, some of the wording he used it was so funny. It was like, he was inside my head. Like, he would get the exact like verbiage that I feel like I would use. It sounded like I was listening to myself talk a handful of times. Well, I'm sure he studied you for a long time, yes. watched a lot of you, listened to a lot of your interviews, kind of mm -hmm. could get the gist of your lingo, you know, words yeah. that you would use. And you could also tweak it. But as you were going through the chapters and flashing back on your life and all of the experiences and accomplishments, was there anything that stood out that was like, whoa, maybe I didn't appreciate that as much as I should have when I did it. Or, wow, I can't believe I did that. That's a great, that's a great question. Um, no, unfortunately, it was the other way, actually. Uh, and it was like, you know, when I was writing back through the contract negotiation in 2013, it was like, how did this not work out? Like, this is so preposterous, you know, like that. I was, I was 12 and 0. I was an Olympian. I was number seven in the world. Like I didn't even, I didn't even ask. We didn't get to the talk point where we're talking money. I didn't even ask for a lot of money. You know, like how did that not work out? And then, then you kind of go flash forward. And it was like, okay, well, my first year in one championship in 2014, it was like smooth. You know, I beat the guy up and then I fought for the belt and I beat that guy up. And then the next year is like, I had this no contest in April and then they couldn't reschedule it till November. And then the dude freaking didn't make weight and they didn't want to fight. And it was like, so I wasted the whole fucking year. Sorry. Can I, I don't know if I can oh. say the F word. I apologize. Yeah, you can say the F word as much as you fucking want. Right. Yeah. So I wasted the whole year on this jabroni that couldn't make weight and didn't want to show up. And so it's like, oh, like I was such in my, the prime of my career in that like 2013, 14, 15. And it was just like the, between the failed contract negotiation and then kind of having to sit on the bench a little bit because this other knucklehead wouldn't get it together. Like that was like, damn it. Like, you know, I could have been fighting in the UFC and getting three, four, five fights a year because I'm the kind of guy who wants to stay busy. So yeah, that was like, that was frustrating. It felt like a missed opportunity. And obviously in life, you never get to go backwards. So I don't want to, I don't ever sit at home and like think about that. Um, but obviously when you're writing a book and then you read through it, it's like, golly, like, why didn't this happen? Uh, it triggered you for sure. It, it brought back uh, all yeah. of those emotions of like, yes. and because I think what most people don't realize is there's no paycheck coming in when you are just training and preparing for a fight. And there's a lot of money going out. Something I've recently learned yeah. by studying MMA and how this works, you know, you're paying all of your people and you're kind of waiting yeah. for the fight. So having your year financially on hold and having your life on hold, then having somebody not cut weight that must have been so infuriating and there's no way to bring in another fighter, right? No, it was, yeah. I mean that dude, uh, oh my God, I didn't like saying his name. He's such an idiot. Uh, first of all, he faked he, in the first fight. He faked the eye poke. 
for sure. I mean, I might have hit him a little bit, but he like acted like he couldn't see nothing. Like he's me a little bitch. Uh, and then the second fight, he missed weight by six pounds. And then I said, okay, fine. Um, I gave him a twenty pound allowance for the next day. And then he said, oh, I can't make it. And then he faked and wanted to go to the hospital because he said he got sick from cutting weight. It was just like shenanigans after shenanigans. And yeah, and, and yes, there was no replacement on that card. So yeah, I mean, I literally, I went through my whole 2015. There's no fights on my record because one was a no contest and the other one never happened. Um, yeah, that, that sucked big and time. statistically so, that you look back on that when you're looking at, you know, your stat sheet, you look back on yeah. that and nobody would really know why unless they yeah. read the story, understood the story or followed you that closely in 2014 through 2015. Yeah. yeah. So that was the kind of thing that, and like I said, I don't, I don't like to pontificate about that because, uh, it's not like, you know, now we're 2022, I can't change anything that previously happened. Um, but when I was reading through it, that was like, uh, like, I don't know if I in 2013, I go to the UFC, maybe I can win a belt. Like that was when I was, you know, performing at a significantly higher level. Yeah. So that, that was frustrating. But, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I always tell my kids and, and the kids I coach, like, man, sometimes life's going to shake out your way. And sometimes it's going to shake out another way. And you just got to keep moving forward and doing the best you can do with the circumstances you have. And I think you kind of have that thread going through your book, Funky, right here, is the fact that, you know, not every day is going to be a great day, but you got to pick up the next day and give it your all just like you did mm -hmm. the day before. That's a one-on-one -on -one sport mentality. Yeah. That's, you know, what you've been doing your entire life and now taking this journey to kind of flashback. It's a remarkable book, and I know everybody's really going to love it. You don't see yourself ever fighting again, do you, Ben? Uh, I said I'd fight George Masvidal if I got the opportunity. Um, you would? Hell yeah, I want to fight that dude. Um, and how long would it take you to train since you've been, I mean, you're still working out every day, uh, I get that, but. Yeah, no, I, I stay, I'm, I'm actually staying in, in much better shape than I was. So I retired the first time, 2017, um, and I, at that point I had been training, we will say, very actively year-round for since 1999 so like 18 years really active wow okay you wanted I'm a break retired. i'm not i didn't get on a scale for nine months i'm gonna do what i want to do because I, I have and, and you know i'm not like some athletes um it's just not my personality type if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it all the way so like there was like not a lot i didn't take a month off ever like in that time period i be probably barely took a week off ever that time i actually drove my wife crazy because like when we go on vacation i like i want to go work out <laughs> like i've I have worked out you know <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I took that first retirement. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to do whatever I want. Cause I can finally for the first time in 18 years. Um, and then I got back in shape in 2019. And then when I retired after the UFC thing, it was kind of like a little bit of the same mentality, but then also my hip was so bad at that point. It was like, I did yoga and rode an exercise bike. And that was like, I couldn't even really like wrestle. Like I do uh private lessons where I'm trying to coach the kids, you know? Yep. Um, and I, I couldn't even really like wrestle with them. It was, it was painful, you know? So then I got really out of shape. And so then obviously when I came, when I decided to take that fight, it was like, part of it was, Hey, I get to train really actively again, which is going to help me get back in shape. And then once I was done with that, it's like, okay, well, now I got the rest of my life. Either I'm going to be a uh, fat as shit or I'm going to like take this seriously and I'm going to get in really good shape and I'm going to stay in really good shape. And uh, I want to live a long time and I want to feel good. So, yeah, I, I work. I don't want to say I work out every single day, but uh, most of the days of the week, if there's no other uh, extenuating circumstances, I'm, I'm training in some way, shape or form. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you worked out your whole life. So it seemed like yeah. work at that point, you had to make the conscious choice of like, Oh, I want to do this for me now. Yeah. Your, and your last fight was the Jake Paul event. Am I correct? Yeah. Yes, that's right. How hard was that? Because there was no tape, there was no film, there was nothing for you to study on Jake Paul. Uh, I mean, I'm not a good boxer, anyways. So uh, even if I could study him, I would. It wouldn't have told me all that much. Um, you know, I was just hoping and I was thinking uh, that he probably wasn't that good, and unfortunately, he's better than whatever. I mean, so he beat my friend. He beat my friend Tyron Woodley. That was the fight yep. you referenced that you were at. Yeah. Yep. Um, beat him twice, and Tyron's a significantly better boxer than I am. Um, and then he beat, he just beat Anderson Silva, who's like many levels above me as far as boxing is concerned. And so, you know, when I, when I took the fight, no one really knew anything about how good he was. He had fought a no one there. And, yeah. um, I was kind of betting on the fact that he wasn't that good. And so, you know, maybe he would, uh, try to beat me up for a couple rounds and then get tired and I was tough. And, um, and then I, you know, I'd roll him up at the end of the fight. And unfortunately he was highly skilled. And so it didn't turn out that well for me. And, but that's the thing with the disadvantage with, it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm a big fantasy football player. So like sometimes, uh, you know, a rookie quarterback <laughs> has to, do you play? Uh, no, I, I make fun of fantasy football uh, people <laughs> because sometimes it's like, this is like my team or like they, 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 actually, they actually own the things. And I'm like, no, but you don't actually own the things. Like So like, we <laughs> fake manage a fake team that we believe that we have a fake outcome and we yell at the TV when uh, our fake wide receiver doesn't get the touchdown and someone that we didn't put in our lineup. That's the thing. But I'm always one to play a rookie quarterback who's coming in to replace an injured quarterback because I know nobody, the defense can't really scheme up yet. Right. So for the first like three weeks, defenses don't scheme. We saw it this year with the Dallas Cowboys after Dak Prescott got hurt, you know, nobody knew what we were looking at. So that's kind of what you you went through with Jake, but that was a different yeah. element totally for you wrestling. I grew up in Easton, Pennsylvania, home of Larry. What? No way. Yeah. Yes. So Larry Holmes. Wait. Uh, I, can I ask how old you are? Is that okay? I'm no? fifty. Fifty. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to, so when my good friend Brian Snyder, he's not fifty though. I want to say he's like forty-five. Okay. 45. I'm thirty-eight. From Easton. Yeah, he's a really good wrestler. He's a coach in Nebraska right now. Uh, okay. Easton's obviously a really good wrestling uh, area. I mean, the it's whole a week. very good wrestling area, actually. My dad was a wrestling coach. Uh, really? He coached Larry Holmes before Larry Holmes started boxing. Oh, okay. He wrestled, and so yeah. I grew up with that as well. So this was kind of, of you know in my blood too, and I watched a lot. And yeah. it is, it's a it's a big it's a big wrestling hub, and you've got to live somewhere yes, good to have facilities and trainings. And it was a big school program too. They mm-hmm. put a lot of effort into the Easton High School yeah. program, so there were a lot of really good wrestlers that came out, got college scholarships, this and yep. that. But you've lived a really fast fascinating life. And I just, your attitude of just, Hey, whatever comes at me, I might do it. I might not your attitude of winning and losing, you know, and your family, your grounded situation, how you did the right things with your money. So young changed your book from every other sports autobiography I've read. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm dying laughing here from Easton. That, that's hilarious. Cause yeah, it's such, I know so many people from there uh, and it is such a good wrestling area. You know, also you didn't bring it up. I thought you were going to bring it up. They have great disc golf also in that area. Okay, so that we got to talk about that. So by the, by the way, by the time I moved out of Easton, we were just getting a Taco Bell. Okay, so that was like the ni- early '90s. So we didn't have disc golf yet. But you brought it up. My friends do it in Orange County. You are an avid disc golfer. Yeah. 
Can you please explain what disc golf is, where you play, and how you fell into like this amazing hobby? Yeah. Well, I play at my house because I built a course here. It's actually, I don't know if you can see. I might as well walk over there. Let's see. This, I live in freaking Wisconsin. Hold on. Look at what just happened. Uh, you got snow already? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yay. Right? Where in Wisconsin are you? I'm outside Milwaukee. But, uh, okay. 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 I have um, a lot of friends from Madison. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, no, I played a few times in high school. Um, and then in college, I went to college and a bunch of the guys in the wrestling team played. And I kind of really enjoyed it. Um, and then I decided to play in a tournament because I thought it was kind of good. And then I lost. And I'm like, F this. Now i got to get really good. Um, <laughs> I was like losing. So I bought a basket. I put it in my yard. I started texting all the time. And then, uh, so I took ninth at the amateur worlds twice and I took second at the amateur nationals. Um, uh, and then unfortunately we did the, we had kids and then I got academies and, um, so I don't get to play in real tournaments anymore. I've hosted a celebrity disc golf tournament. So if you can play, you can come out next year and host a celebrity disc golf tournament with the disc golf pro tour. And like, it's, it's really awesome. Cause like some of the world champs come out. Uh, in the men's and female division. Okay, and is disc golf played at regular golf courses, or are there specific courses for disc golf? Uh, so both. Um, so most disc golf courses are at like like municipal parks, you know, where okay. um, because it's relatively cheap to put in, right? They put in a bunch of cement pads and they buy the baskets, and you know, for a parks department, it's uh, cheap activity. Um, and then you can use they can use the whole park, right? Because otherwise they're mostly using like the baseball field or the soccer sure, field. Basketball court. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that type of thing. Um, and now okay, so it's getting like really popular. Actually, Corona helped blow it up because people were doing things inside. So they had to go outside. And so you can go out with a few people and go play some disc golf and you know, separate from everyone else. Um, yeah, I mean, like it's getting to the point where people are getting like million dollar contracts. Um, you know, my friend Paul McBeth signed a 10 year, $10 million deal with Discraft. Um, yeah, it's awesome. So and now there's, so there's some private courses, but that's still small, but then a lot of the, um, I don't say failing, failing regular disc golf, uh, regular golf courses where they're maybe not making a lot of money. They'll, sure. they'll add in, they'll add that's in That's how it golf. is in Orange County. The places that weren't doing well decided to transition over. So they're exclusively to that now. And it's less maintenance. It's less cost to run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need nearly as much space. Um, yeah, and then obviously, like if you, you don't cut the grass as often, or that the maintenance component too. Of course. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, disc golf. I think is going to continue to it's it's rise. I mean, having a really relatively rapid rise in popularity right now. I think that's going to continue because it's just it's just fun. And I'll give you my sales. Do you want my sales pitch? I do. I do. Right. Please. So you become a disc golfer, and I see this with all these. There's all these dudes who go golfing. Um, okay, so golfing. It takes you like five hours to golf. It's preposterous. Like, who's got five hours in their day? Disc golf takes like an hour. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's that's what bing ding ding. That's one big. That's, that's positive. One. Yeah. Okay. Uh, disc golf. You don't need a tee time, right? In a golf course, you can't just show up. You need to have a schedule a tee time. Like my day's crazy. Like I can't ever schedule anything. I don't know what's going to happen. So I can just show up whenever I want and go play. That's a huge one. Um, discs. You need probably three. I would I would recommend you start with three discs. That's gonna run you say like fifty to seventy dollars somewhere in there. Maybe you can you can't even get a you can get like one golf club for that much. Uh, you can get a box of balls for you know fifty dollars, right? I mean, yes. yeah, golf is an expensive sport. Yeah, yes. for sure. So those are kind of my sales pitches for golf and or disc golf instead of golf. Um, 
Uh, it's really addicting. You get out there and try to throw the disc and you watch it fly and it's, uh, it's very enjoyable. I, I love all the pitches because golf is such a commitment. You have to be good and you can only play once in a while because it's five, yes. six hours of your day. So I don't know how people can commit to like practicing and playing often because we have jobs, you know, I get it. You're retired. You live in Florida. A lot of people do this, but I'm going to try disc golf. I'll let you know how I like it. Uh, And I'm going to recommend that all of my listeners read your book, Funky. You can get it on Amazon. The link's on your social media at Ben Askren. It's a really good read. Perfect holiday book. If you're traveling, get pick it up. Take it on the plane with you. You'll read it and enjoy it. But I loved your story. And going down the rabbit hole and learning more about you over these past couple of days has been fun and fascinating. You're totally awesome. You must be the coolest dad and the coolest wrestling coach ever. Uh, appreciate that. So what are you, can I, can I ask before you kick me off? Uh, <laughs> what, yeah. are your, what are your favorite books that you're uh, ever reader? Cause I, I really enjoy reading also. So, uh, at athletes, um, let's see, what do I, have? In, any top, I, I my, in my life? I, I don't know if you do this. I like started on one topic and then, you know, it'll talk about another book in that topic and I'll get interested and I'll start reading. So like, you know, I started with athletics obviously. And then I remember hit like this mountaineering phase. So I read like 15 books about climbing Mount Everest and other mountains. And then it's like sports psych and I read a whole bunch of sports psych. And then it was like business biography and I read a bunch of those. And then it was business. You know, I just kind of went down like a bunch of different rabbit holes on reading stuff. Uh, same. I mean, when you think about, you know, the, one of the books I love was the power of habit and that book alone got me to read 15 more books because it uh-huh. gave little bits about, you know, from uh-huh. this and from this. And that took me down to like atomic habits. And then I read a lot about yeah. minimalism. I was, I wanted to adopt minimalism in, in my life and simplify my life. And it wasn't just like one book. It was like, then you start reading. So yeah, I go through phases like that where it's kind of like one big subject matter athletes. I've read Every book on LeBron, every book on Michael Jordan, um, every book on Larry Holmes since he was from my hometown. They're not all autobiographies, but once you go down the rabbit hole with one, you're like pairing these things together. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I got into fantasy football, I read every single book about how fantasy football started, the history of leagues, (laughs) how it was run. Okay. Do you realize that before the internet, you know, before fax machines, there was this stats person in your league that actually had to write out all the stats. People could do their math, but things were mailed. So on what? Monday, somebody had to do eight hours. Yeah. Wow. They had to do eight hours of paperwork and mail results out to their league mates. Like, I don't know if I would have liked it if it wasn't on an app, you know? But yeah, so yeah. I go down when it goes to that book reading, uh, I just go down the rabbit hole, just like you stay on a subject matter. And then boom, somebody will send me a book like as a gift. And I'm like, okay, the shift is happening. Now I'm going to read this autobiography and I'm going to go into maybe some music reading, but it's just a great passion. I, I still like a physical book more than I like using my Kindle. If I'm taking a long trip, I don't love, I don't love, I love the feeling of a book. I hate it. I love the book. You know, I did though. I did. Um, I, I pushed back on listening to audiobooks for a long time. And then uh, maybe like this spring, I had this list of like, oh my God, how am I going to read this list of books? Because I want to get through all these. And so I finally broke on the audiobook thing. And so I put my, you know, like Bluetooth in and I go work on my disc golf course and chainsaw or, or whatever. And uh, I crushed like 12 audiobooks in like 
two months. So that really helped like get through. It is an easy way to digest it, especially if you want to be multitasking, you know, because you can't just sit down and do it. But when it's in the author's voice, you get a totally different connection for the author as well, right? Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. What's your favorite audio book you listen to? Well, you maybe think about this one. The one I just, uh, I was thinking about when you said that the voice, oh my God, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Uh, he's a very famous finance guy. Uh, changing world. Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio. Because <laughs> my okay. friend was saying, my friend was like, uh, who else? One of my friends read this and he said, I hated this. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was perfect. Ray Dalio <laughs> reads, he reads the intro in the first chapter. And then he's like, yo, I'm too busy for this shit. And then he's like, someone else is going to read it. And then someone else reads the whole book. I'm like, I get it. Like the guy's got a billion dollars. And that was before I read my audiobook. And now that I read my audiobook, I'm like, yeah. Like if I had a billion dollars, I'm not freaking sitting down and reading for, I don't know what took me, 17 hours or something like that. I'm not yeah, going to do it. Yeah, but why do the first chapter then? He should have just done the intro. It was so awesome because he's like, yeah, I'm too busy. I'm going to I'm gonna let someone else read this now. <laughs> I thought have it was you- great. And it just made a sudden change of chapter uh, two. Yeah, it's a good way to digest books. But as I think it's easier, I've written two books. And I think the more you read, the easier it is to write. There's no doubt about it. And the more you read, the more you understand the whole process of why the audiobook is so important. Some people just don't like to be still. And I get that. But I'm just a page turner. And I like the fact that I have no technology near me when I'm reading. I agree. I agree. That's an, It is yes. my break. And this will be the holiday book for everyone. Ben Askren, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Have a great day. My flavor of the day today is root beer float, really kicking things up a notch. Going a little bit wild uh, because I need all the juice I can get. It is time, the moment you've been waiting for, the infamous mailbag. If you want to be part of the mailbag, you can send your question to asklisaann at gmail.com. A diet question, a cooking question, a travel question, a question about one of my books, my first book, The Life, my second book, The Life Back, any kind of a question you can ask away. We've got a couple here that I'm going to read to you. First one, health and fitness. Lisa, as a fan of yours for a while, I feel that you look better at 50 than 35. My question is, do you find it harder to get enough exercise and proper nutrition at the age of 50 with your busy schedule? I'm 66 and I find it harder to motivate myself. Thank you again for all of your charity work and congratulations on your personal happiness. Mike, what a nice email, Mike. You rock. Now, Mike, I kind of see my nutrition and my fitness the opposite. So I think I'm more motivated now than I was when I was younger, because now I want to be sure that I live even longer and I feel even better. I also know that as I get older, you need more recovery, more rest. I did not take that last last night. I'm just telling you, you need more rest, more recovery. You need to feed your body better. You know, you need to make sure that you're getting in your fruits and vegetables, taking your vitamins, drinking extra water. You know, other than fit soda, the only thing I drink is water. And I drink six liquid death cans a day. On my average day, I drink six of these cans, okay, minimum. So I go through, I'm filling the cans, okay? I go through them and also my food prep. So I'm busy, busier now than maybe I was, but. 
I'm able to do my food prep and know, you know, three days in advance, like I'm going to make a bunch of salads that I can add things to them. I always kind of know what I'm going to be eating. When I was 35, I was living on the road and just out of situation, I was forced to eat out all the time. There weren't always good choices. You're going into small towns. You know, I ate food then that I would never eat now because I have the choice to be able to cook. It was one of the things I really looked forward to when I was retiring is being able to make my own food and being able to, you know, sleep in my own bed, have my routine. So if you can shift your mindset, Mike, and think about not motivating yourself, but just keeping yourself healthier, taking like extra care. In sports, we call it bubble wrapping. Like they bubble wrap some players who are injury prone. I kind of look at myself now at 50 as like, I got to bubble wrap myself. Like I've got to take better care of myself, be more aware of what I'm putting in my body, do better with my recovery. I sit in the sauna five days a week. Like I do even when I'm busy. To me, that is part of my day. And that part of my day is great for my mental health. It's great for my physical health, and it's going to help me stay healthy longer. So I think it's really a mindset thing. And I think it's looking at yourself like I want to be healthier now so that if I do get sick, I recover faster. If I do have an injury and I have to have surgery, I recover faster. You're just training your body to be the best that it can be. So stay motivated, my friend. And thank you for that lovely email. We got an email from Petra, Petra all the way in Germany. Uh, the subject matter said heavenly. Hello, Lisa. We were allowed to be a part of your paragliding experience in Switzerland. Which of your two sky experiences gave you more joy? Skydiving or paragliding? Petra, do not forget the open air chopper. I think that is also an air adventure because you're in a helicopter with no doors, which is wild, just absolutely wild. So... Don't forget about that one. Can the two not be compared because the circumstance and adrenaline rush is different? I'd like to hear your thoughts. But at first, Lisa, I think it's chapeau, which is congratulations for so much courage. By the way, your podcast from Switzerland with love is awesome. Thank you for sharing your trip with us. And a special thanks goes to Kay. She deserves an award for her creative work. Also, thank you for your time. Thank you for your podcast, your interesting guests and everything. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Petra. Um, skydiving, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's the adrenaline thing. Uh, my first dive, is, I did a 55-second free fall. And, you know, some places do like 25 or 35 seconds. And this was a 55 second. And by the 50th second, I was watching him count down the five seconds to the videographer that was also free falling while she was shooting the content to me. And I will tell you, I was ready. Like you start to, you realize how fast you are traveling to the ground. And when you first don't see it, you're fine. But very quickly you see it. And by the time you pull the chute, you go back up so high to enjoy your, your kind of like paragliding down. Paragliding was very smooth. The only like adrenaline part that was strange is waiting for wind on a hill and just running off of it. Like that was like, okay, this is how this actually works. There's no like people here. There's no plane. There's no, like, there's no, no, we just pulled over and, you know, ran off this hill. So it was a different one, but I would definitely say skydiving. It with the adrenaline, but they all have brought me joy. Like seeing the air in a different way, 
doing something like that, the paragliding though in Switzerland, because it's such a beautiful country and getting that aerial view, smelling the air, the temperature, like it was pristine conditions. So I think that I've also parasailed. Let's not forget that as well. Okay. And I did that in Tampa this past year. We went down for the, the fight. So they've all been great. Uh, I like to push myself for adventure. You know that because I share it with all of you. It just uh, keeps me going. And that is, that's kind of why I do these things. I know I'm not myself today, this mailbag, right? I'm killing you all. I'm probably killing Kay. Kay is like, this is the worst podcast ever. Lisa is exhausted, but I couldn't let you down and not have an, a new episode. And I was behind. Okay. So this is my fault. My next email comes from Ahmed. Hello, my name is Ahmed El Ansari, and I have two questions for you. Who do you expect is going to win the World Cup? this year and the world cup starts in a month. Second question is what city would you like to visit that is in your bucket list? So I don't know enough about the world cup to give any good answer here. I did though tour the FIFA museum in Zurich and I am trying to expand my mind. I do know that it starts in a month. I have been seeing a ton of ads about it, but I know nothing. So I'm not a good, I don't want you, I don't want to have a take and then have some Betting happen. Like, don't bet on my take because I have no take. As for a city, uh, the next city I really want to visit is Lisbon. I want to go to Lisbon, Portugal. I want to go to Portugal in general and scope out Portugal, kind of like I just did Switzerland. But you may or may not know that I visited every state in the United States. So I have tackled every major city and a lot of small cities. I traveled by car with my grandparents when I was young. And my first two years on the road, I traveled by car to go to all of my gigs. So when you travel by car through the U.S., you really get to see the in-betweens of airports. And then my very last state to visit, I visited in 2019, and that was Alaska, the most beautiful state to visit. I highly recommend people to go to Alaska and go in the winter you'll deal with the cold and you'll be perfectly fine. Well, that's wrapping up the mailbag right here. Thank you all for your patience. Not my best showing today, but I did have one of my best guests. Make sure you get funky. Ben Askren's book. It's a fun read. It's going to be a great Thanksgiving holiday. You're taking some downtime away from your technology and you just want to relax. Get this book. You can get it on Amazon. The audiobook is available as well as the digital copy. And thank you all. Don't forget Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, my YouTube channel is where we watch the video component together. I'm in the chat with you. It's a great time to kind of catch up. We have a nice little community of people. We look forward to seeing each other. It's Friday nights at 8 p.m. And if you want to hear me talking fantasy football, fantasy basketball, sports betting, we've got that Wednesday nights on the Better Sports app. You can follow all things on social media at Better Network to find out more. My co-host and I, Rick Kamla, the show is Better Sports Live from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time every Wednesday night. Thank you again for having me in your ear. If you want to read Ben's book, make sure you go out and get it. You can follow him at Ben Askren. A root beer, a vanilla float. Cheers to you. Thanks to Fit Soda. And thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of The Lisa Ann Experience. Thank you.